Let's do this. No more fooling around, man. Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to your Life's Work podcast. This is number... I don't even know. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Greetings to all of you in sunny Southern California, particularly those of you in Los Angeles, the East Coast, my Floridian brothers and sisters, my New Yorkers. How are you? Those of you who live in Rockaway, you know who you are, you tattooing fools. Love you all. Greetings to all of those of you in Europe and Asia. I know there's one of you from Singapore. How are you, Singapore? And all of you listening to Off Planet, so glad you people are here. So glad you humanoids are all hanging out for your life's work. Today we're doing Ask JR. So don't go any further than that. It's 30 minutes of Ask JR. There's five questions on the table from my solicitation online. Five of the best. Well, I mean, what would I deem as the best? Maybe they suck, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we This week, uh, I, I'm taping this on a Tuesday. I'm taping last on Tuesday. So do you all know who Rob Bell is? Do you all know who that guy is? Rob Bell, last name B-E-L-L. Tall guy, skinny. Uh, whenever he takes a picture, it always looks very awkward. That guy, do you know who I'm talking about? He writes a lot of books. Uh, he's not controversial at all. In fact, uh, no one's ever said a bad word about him, including me. And we go to the Big Rob Bell Show in Los Angeles where he has it at Largo. It's a uh, kind of a, a club, I guess, for comedians. I, I, I don't know if I'd call it necessarily a, a, a comedy club because it's really not because people come and sing there too. And there's been known to be a bit of acting going on there as well. But it's a cool little venue um, close to Hollywood, Beverly, West Hollywood, I guess. And we, I, go with, uh, I go with my great friend Chad who lives up in L.A. and my other great San Diego friends, Lauren and Ryan. We just had a great time. But the funny thing comes up because we're talking about this podcast, Your Life's Work podcast, and Lauren, Ryan's wife, friend of mine here in San Diego, says, yeah, man, I listen to your podcast. But what's funny about me is she says, I have subjugations of podcasts. Like I listen to like the mind, I mean, ones like, you know, podcasts that will kind of like, you know, put you to sleep. Like you can listen to the podcast before you go to bed. And I listen to ones that like, you know, get you thinking and get you going, inspire you a little bit. And she says, but you know how like there's like the autoplay, like you finish out one podcast and then boom, another one will just automatically start. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like this happens to me in the car all the time. Like all of a sudden somebody will be talking and you're like, holy. So she says, sometimes I wake up in the, this is Ryan, Lauren. Ryan's wife, Lauren, says, uh, yeah, sometimes I wake up and you're talking. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny. Like my buddy's wife telling me I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear your voice. So there's that. Uh, anyways, uh, thank you all for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate all of you guys, all all, all of the, the lovely ladies and the wonderful people that spend 30 minutes with me uh, as much as every week as I can. And we were also talking about like, you know, there's some dudes, man, that like live and breathe and die over the consistency of their podcast. So like one, like, you know, again, you go to Facebook and like you read these articles about like podcasting, like it'd be like the five greatest tips on getting a podcast audience. One of them is consistency doing them every week or doing them every other day or whatever the hell you're doing. And so those of you who come to know me, it's like I skip a week kind of often. <laughs> I skip a week here, I skip a week there. But I tell everybody, it's like I feel like this codependent need to like tell you why I skip. And I skip because like when you, I'm a spiritual director, that's what I do. I spiritually direct, I mentor people. So I'm sitting with people, uh, you know, very often, uh, during the day. And so, you know, kind of one of the last things you want to do is do the podcast, but I love doing the podcast too, truth be told. So it's not that I'm ignoring it. It's just that 
it's like the incremental time. All right, big news uh, happening. Uh, we are on the second edit of year. My book that's coming out, uh, hopefully going to print by the end of next month, so, or maybe at the end of this month if we get our act together. But it's looking great. Uh, my dear friend, Rob Supan, and you've heard me say it before, and we're just pimping the book a little bit. So it's coming. Rob did a wonderful job. Um, Supan Creative, you can find it online, supancreative.com, or you can hit Rob Supan, I think at supans.com, or maybe it's Rob at supans.com. Try that. If you're looking for any design work, don't ask him to do a website though. <clears throat> Websites are a pain in the ass. And for the record, if you are, if you're a guy out there and you're like, oh, I need a website and I'm going to have somebody else do it. I'm telling you right now, man, the technology is in place for you to go to like Squarespace, uh, and just get a website and do it yourself. And it's super easy. So there's no like web kind of quote unquote like web designer guys unless you want something completely unique and off the chart. So you can do your own damn website. But when it comes to design, when it comes to like really taking an idea and launching it up into the air so people can really grasp it and spin it in their brain and their soul. You're looking at Rob Zupan. So get that guy. So anyways, years coming out. He did a fantastic job with the book. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's 365 contemplations based on my kind of study, my own contemplation and work that I uh, do in 2017. So we're about a year and a half into this project. And and I was telling everybody the other night, like, I can't wait to kind of put this thing to bed. Because if you're anything like me, and you've sat on a project for a year, and not sat on it, but you've worked with a project for a year and a half, you're like, ah, mother, with a bunch of swear words after that. And that's just how you feel. Um, good. We are doing spiritual direction training. The first session kicks off the 20th of June here in San Diego, the 20th of June, San Diego. If you're not in San Diego and you want to be a part of spiritual direction training that we're doing, uh, and there's a small little group right now and it's happening. So the first one, we're going to do it over the course of a year. There's going to be six sessions over the course of a year. There are books, prerequisites to get in, um, these books are prerequisites to the classes, so hit me up, but we're doing it like you don't have to pick up, you don't, like, in other words, if we're three sessions into it, you don't have to have read the accompanying three books before you get into it. Each session is individual enough where you can start with the book that we're already studying and then jump on into the class. Did I explain that correctly? Uh, anyways, if you want in on spiritual direction training, and who is this for? Well, if you belong to a church of any kind, if you're a pastor, if you're a lay person, if you're somebody who's just interested in the movement of spirit, the movement of God, not only in your life, but in the lives of others, and you find yourself very often at Starbucks listening <laughs> and chatting it up and helping people move through their lives, most likely, and you're connected to spirit, most likely you're spiritual directing. So if you want to light that on fire, uh, hit me at jr at jrman.com, jr at jrman.com. The name, the number, all the BS is on the website. I'm at jrman everywhere. It's M-E-H-O-N's last name. So get into that because it's growing organically. It's, it's nothing that I planned on doing. Um, and this wonderful, terrific friend of mine, I uh, was like, do you do that? And I said, yeah. And then all of a sudden, this little group sprung up. And then, boom, all of a sudden, we've got a year's work of, uh, of, of stuff ahead of us. So, yay. So if you want to know more about that, let me know. Okay, ask JR. So every now and then, I'll stop down. Like, people will always say, like, oh, is, is, that, is ask JR because you didn't have anything to talk about? And I'm like, no. It's because people uh, ask me questions all the time about whatever. When you're 51 and you've gone through the course of life that I've gone through with the different experiences that I have, it's not that I'm some guy, some guru, right? Some dude wrapped in white sitting on top of a hill waiting for you to come. It's just this is what my experiences are. So people ask me questions. Um, so that's what we'll do. Let me get the time here because 
I can't stand when we go over 30, as you all know that. Can't stand that. Okay. All right, ask JR. Uh, uh, question. What's your study and alone time like? What is your method of studying the Bible? Also, where do you get your rad boots? So there's two questions there. <laughs> we'll take them one at a time. Um, what is my method of studying the Bible? Well, I don't, I don't know if I have a method or, you know, a bigger question to me is how do you study the Bible, right? So it's, hey, how do, like, like you know, because I, cause I know a few of you out there don't necessarily belong to the communities of church or you do belong to a community of church, but maybe the the practice or the study of the Bible isn't necessarily, you know, you know, shooting rockets up your butt. Um, so it becomes a like, how do you study the Bible versus a methodology or a process? Early, early on in my faith, I had like those Bibles that you read through the year or, um, you know, like the daily kind of study guides that rolled you like, a psalm and a proverb, and then an Old Testament reading, and then a New Testament reading. And I just, as a way of education or application of of your faith and knowledge of what has happened between Genesis and Revelation, the Bible, there's 66 books in that book, um, and, and, you know, the original canon was put together by a bunch of dudes that have essentially voted on whether or not, you know, something's going to be in the Bible or not in the Bible, Um but the question becomes like, how? Because we're talking about a book that's been written over the course of time. And it's not just like one dude, like Ernest Hemingway, sat down with one collective thought and just got to writing. So as you're studying the Bible, reading the Bible, first off, you can read it. You can read it. If you want to read it, you can read it. It won't act like a novel. In fact, it, there are parts of it that will... Like, you'll blow, why the hell am I reading this? Like, what is the application in 2018 to this? Like, what is, where is the truth? Like, there's just, honest to God, there's going to be some parts of the Bible you're like, do I need to know um, Levitical law? New That would be Old Testament. New Testament would be like, you know, <laughs> do I need to know the movement of the early church? So, or Revelation, like you get to Revelation and you're like, who's the guy smoking the crack that's writing... Revelation. So, yes, you can read it, take in its words. And I know plenty of people that have read it and understand it and can talk you through it, right? Give you the highs, the lows, the hits, runs, and the errors. But for me, it becomes practice, spiritual practice. And what I mean is, I don't think I've ever had the same understanding of the Bible at any given time during the course of my faith um, from season to season. So my point is, is I've read it differently a bunch of different times in a bunch of different ways. The season that I'm in now is real like splitting some hairs on it, understanding contextually where things came from, what the culture was like when it was written, who's actually writing it. Um, There are those out there that are literalists in the Bible, with the Bible, uh, and those who, you know, the inherency of God runs all the way through it, and it's God's Word, and it's it's nothing else, and that's just how it goes. And that's cool, whatever you want to do with that. Um, I read the Bible so it doesn't have a dualistic response into my life. Like, I'm not going to read the Bible and 
and just see black and just see white. I'm going to read the Bible and hope it produces mystery. So when I read the Bible, I'm really tapping into where my curiosity goes. I'm really tapping into where my mind and heart will wander with it. And I'm also looking for historical perspective and context. Um, Jesus was a Jew, and when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, I think you get into an understanding, like, you got to understand where Jesus came from. And so a lot of us, when we start reading the Bible, because a lot of evangelicals will say, hey, start in the New Testament, start with Matthew, start with Mark. And I really do think we need to, we need a, a synopsis real quick, a slowdown before we just jump in to understand where Jesus came from, who were his parents, where was his community, what was his community like during the days he was raised, because this is a guy that had a life like no historian is is going to like try to debunk the life of Christ, because there was an actual guy named Jesus walking around who did the things that he did um, and subsequently was killed. So as a historical perspective, we have to understand that the Bible holds a lot of truth that way. And when I say truth, just a lot of stuff that we can go, yeah, it happened. So uh, there's that. So when, when I, I don't know if there's a methodology or a process. All that to say, suffice to say, as say, I don't think there is a process for me. It's really the curiosity that leads me. And I would say, allow your curiosity to take hold when you are reading the Bible, because the Bible is very inflammatory. And it's just, I mean, people will argue and throw and and it's amazing to me the amount of interpretation that goes on with the one book. It's amazing how different it can be. I would, I would ask everybody to hold on to the truth, and the truth is not yours to create. It's something that you join, and it's something that you join in experience with. So, you know, a lot of people want you to lock down uncertainty, man. A lot of people who read the Bible, a lot of uh, Christian communities out there will hinge their belief on one scripture to another. And I'm not that guy. Uh, I'm going to let curiosity and mystery drive my reading, drive my study, drive my understanding of who God is and his personality, uh, who Jesus is, who Jesus wasn't, who the disciples were, who they, what they weren't. So that's how I read it. Um, I don't know if I necessarily answered it. I would, again, suffice to say is I lean back to you and I just say, hey, let your curiosity drive it. If you have seasons that you don't have curiosity about it, put it down. Let it get dusty. Whatever. God gets it. Your relationship with God is not predicated on how much you read the Bible. Period. What? What? Uh, what? But, 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 yeah, yeah, I get it. It's, this is a, this is you being human, fully created by him, and you're living a life. Like, if you were launched into an island, man, with no reading material whatsoever, there still would be that thing burning in your heart to know something greater than you, to make your life not necessarily your own. So lean into that and then allow the curiosity to crack open the Bible, allow the curiosity to uh, go off page, to go off page and into the understandings of other people that have um, you know, done the work historically, done the work translatively. Um, to really understand what the words are. And you'll find your own people. You know, you'll find your own tribe when it comes to this. So, um, you know, don't be afraid of it. Uh, you know, some of my, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the people here in a minute because there's another question that's add on to it. So that's my take. That's my take. Uh, Bible, hugely inflammatory, wonderfully peaceful, wonderful loving. It, it's, a, it's a story of, 
of, of how God loves us. It's a story of how we reflect that love back to God. It's a story of how we run. It's a story of how we chase. It's a story of how we fight. It's a story of how we need. It's a story of um, the essence of who we are and how to live that essence. So go for it. Get in there. Noodle it up. Underline. Highlight. Question. Rip. Tear. Throw. Burn. Do whatever you got to do as you go through it. But that's basically my study. Do I have a regular routine with the Bible? No. So a lot of times I'm up and away from the pages of the Bible and into something contextually about the Bible. And then I'm floating back into the Bible as I go. So um, somebody said to me one time, there's nothing else more than the Bible. You don't need to read anything else. And that's BS. <laughs> you must read other things. If you're going to read the Bible, count on reading other things. Count on reading other things from other people that have um, done a little bit more digging contextually, society-driven, historically relatable, um, even experience, even the experience of how the Bible just touches you. So I hope that answers some of um, that question. Number two. Uh, it, it just goes way off topic, but these are questions people ask me. When should your child get a cell phone? When should your child get a cell phone? Well, no child should ever have a cell phone, number one. There's a kid in my neighborhood. He's 10 years old. He has a cell phone. That kid should not have a phone, period, end of story. I am of the mindset that even 17, 18-year-olds should not have phones, period, end of story. I'm not talking about not being safe. That's not what I'm talking about because I, listen, 99.9% of all parents, if not 100% say, well, I got him a cell phone because I want him to be safe and they can communicate. Bullshit like you wouldn't believe because at the end of the day, I was 50, I grew up without a cell phone and I managed and your child will manage. The cell phone today is without a doubt 100% a communications ripper aparter uh, when it comes to parents and children. So- you're not just calling people with today's cell phones. In other words, if the cell phone today was just you opened it and you called and that was it, yeah, give it to them when they're 10, okay? But the cell phone has become, uh, it, it, it has become an extension almost of essence. Let me say it again. The cell phone has become almost an extension of what essence is. Like if you don't have a phone, there's something wrong with you. If you don't have a phone, you are not locked in and able to tie in and belong to community or tribe. So I want you all to think about that. So for me, like when people say, I've made huge mistakes with my daughter. She's 18 years old. I got her a cell phone early. Huge mistakes. I wish I never would have done it. Um, I don't think children, I don't think 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds are cognitively able to take in what the phone is at present day, 2018. And I'm not talking about just phone calls because that's the bullshit thing that parents do. Well, I want them to call and be able to text so they'll be safe. Again, it's bullshit because that the phones that we give our children are so much more than that. They are literal portals into their minds, portals into their souls, portals into their hearts, and in some cases, portals into their bodies. So we need a reckoning. We need truth in this thing, and that's why I'm going to say it, and that's why, that's, that's why it's SJR, and this is what I think. And if I'm you, and you've got a 13, 14-year-old kid, and you are saying to yourself, I'm going to get him that phone, don't do it. Absolutely don't do it. I don't care how much they bitch, moan, and complain. Don't do it. Don't afford yourself an opportunity to, to have a fire. Just don't do it. You wouldn't leave your stove on at night when you go to bed. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't leave your, you wouldn't leave your stove on if you went on vacation. 
And that's what you're doing with the cell phone because they're much more than calling devices now. So that's what I'm saying to you. So my boys right now, 13, 15, like they're like my 13 year old is jonesing for a phone like you wouldn't believe. Like his face falls off when we, I tell him he's not going to get a phone, but that's just how it goes. So I'll make up my mind when we get to like 17, 18, but <laughs> I can tell you right now, if I find a device that just calls, I'll get it. And they're out there because my oldest in between having an iPhone and then another iPhone and shenanigans, I got her a flip, and she never used it, which is very, right? Think about it. She never used it. So I got her a phone that just calls, and she never used it. So think about what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying. She survived wonderfully for the record by being able to get a hold of me off of a smartphone. So with today's cell phones, I'm telling you, 14, 15, 16, 17, even 18 years old, I mean, obviously when they're 18, they can make their own decisions legally and by society's understanding so they can do what they want to do, I suppose. But I'm just telling you right now, today's cell phones shouldn't be left in the care of teenagers, period, end of story. Um, you can argue about that at jrjrman.com. That's an argument I actually get in because I'm super passionate about it because I see the cell phone, I see the cell phone being a literal ripper apartheid of not only communication in the family, but just a real substantive thing that uh, is happening across the generation that is keeping people away from people, away from the ability to talk, away from the ability to love, away from the ability to form community. So listen, nobody can deny this shit because, I, because I'm telling you right now, more and more people are like, I put my phone down. More and more adults are like, I'm going the weekend without touching my phone. I'm going, you know, so we need to be smart. This isn't about keeping a child safe, giving them a phone, because you're actually doing the opposite. You're doing the opposite when you give them a smartphone and a device that can be hooked into their mind, body, and soul at any given point. Um, So don't get your kids' cell phones. That's what I got to say. Question three. Why can't, this comes from somebody, why can't I move forward with the pursuit of my dream? So holy loaded question, like I'd have to know more about that, but right on the surface of things, I would say, why do you want to? Like, why do you want to? So a lot of times people look at me when they come and they visit and they hang out and we're doing a session and they're like, well, I just can't seem to move forward. And I'm like, why do you want to then? Why do you want to move forward? So my question to everybody is like, if you have a dream that's not fulfilled, if you have a dream that you're sitting on and chewing on and gnashing on, I would say, why do you want it? Why, why do you want it? Like, what, what, is, what, what is the satisfaction of having it? And that's a question that only you can answer at the end of the day. But most likely, the reasons why you're not moving forward, number one, is fear. Like, fear drives us into the ground, into oblivion, into paralyzation of our own lives. And so we have to deal with the fears. And when you deal with fears, you can't keep them inside. Fears must have a light of day. Fear must have a voice. Fear must look like, I'm afraid of X. And it must be to face-to-face to somebody. It can't be online. can't be through a text. can't be through an instant message. You must face somebody and go, this is what I'm afraid of. No matter how you think the fear is taken or not, most likely that's why you're not moving forward. But the biggest question is, you know, what's, what is in it for you? Jerry, I have a dream that I'm not moving on. And I would say, well, 
I mean, why then? Like, like, what is the satisfaction in that dream? Like, what, what is the fruition of it? You, you know, you tell me. Like, like, if you can mount a case against your fear internally and then be able to admit it to somebody, like, you'll be, you'll be the bull in the china shop getting it done. I guarantee, I guarantee it. But most likely it is fear that everybody revolves around. So just know that. Number four, who influences you? Somebody wrote in chair, who influences you? Oh my gosh, I've got some great influencers in my life. I would say um, John Philip Newell, Cynthia Bourgeau, uh, a guy named Tommy Cusick, who none of you know, maybe a few of you know. Um, Edward Hopper, the painter, influences me. Um, a woman named Cynthia Fleischer, she influences me. Um, who else? Who else? Richard Rohr, Brennan Manning. Oh, Brennan Manning. Read anything by Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning might be one of the most vulnerable Christian characters of all time. Jesus obviously influences me. And I tell people, and they're like, well, why does he influence you? Because he's an ego buster. You know, his, his ability to bust your ego is always what has attracted me to Jesus. Not the, you know, you know, rainbows and cookies and happy, you know, Jesus, he lets love everybody thing. Like, that's great. That's fantastic. But his sense of ego busting is I've always been attracted to that because in some ways I've always loved the deep dive on self to be able to like really wring myself out. Uh, with my chaotic uh, mess. Um, who else? Who else influences me? Um, I said Cynthia, Cynthia Bourgeau. For, for those of you who don't know Cynthia Bourgeau, hi, how are you? Um, Cynthia Bourgeau uh, is a, a, a mystic, modern-day mystic, still alive. Uh, I've been an Episcopal priest, I believe. Um, uh, speaker, uh, workshop chick, uh, wrote the books on centering prayer. She really, really influences, has in, had influence on me. Um, not so much the teachings of Cynthia Bourgeau, but the kind of lifestyle that she's enveloped. Um, I really dig it. And I probably will never be like her, <laughs> um, but I just, I just like watching it. Um, personal influences would be my wife. Um, she influences me, the, 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 the way she moves and handles the children, always amazing. I handle the children with fire and brimstone. She handles the kids with kid gloves and love and care and grace, probably the way I should be doing it. But uh, she influences me. Um, who, who else? Uh, my brother, Mike, has influenced me over the years. Um, my stepdad, Jack, has had major influence on me. Uh, my dad, my stepmom... Um, you know, all these people, uh, you know, have influenced me over the years. So, but, you know, people will, I think people are probably asking that based on spiritual directing or based on what I do with my life now. Um, and so I'd have to go probably my spiritual director first, um, Cheryl, and then uh, Brennan Manning, big player in my life. Brennan Manning has really, really taught me that the senses of grace and vulnerability and authenticity and to be able to, you know, hold myself up. Um, and not take myself so damn seriously. Uh, number five, and then this will do it for the exercise of Ask JR. Should be some kind of thing there. Um, <laughs> this is a loaded one, and we don't have a lot of time, but this comes from somebody, obviously a man. Well, it could be a chick, I don't know. Uh, how do I tell my wife she makes me feel less than? How do I tell my wife that she just makes me feel less than? And I would probably understand that translatively as I'm just reading it again. 
uh, are worthless. Well, with anybody, with anybody that is inserting feeling into you, I would check yourself first before I'd be talking to the wifey. I would really check myself on my attachment to the person. In other words, if somebody's making you feel happy, like you probably never even say to anybody, how do I talk to her about making myself happy? <laughs> like, think about it. There's a guy that writes in, how do I tell my wife she makes me feel like crap? But you would never write in and go, how do I tell my wife that she makes me feel happy? <laughs> because somewhere along the line, that is kind of like acceptable. Like we've accepted that. So that's where I'm going with attachment. Like how attached are you to people? And again, my number one motto over here is no people, no people or place or thing is going to make you happy. So if you're in belief right now with your attachments that a person's going to make you happy, or a person's going to make, or a place is going to make you happy, or things going to make you happy, you're screwed because the opposite is true. Because then, then the belief becomes they're going to make me miserable, or they will make me miserable. And that's absolutely what's going to happen with that attachment. That attachment, that attachment will automatically go to fear, worry, anxiety, anger, remorse, trepidation. And that's how it goes. So maybe the conversation becomes with the wifey, um, the wifey, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the wife, the spouse, um, maybe the conversation becomes, hey, can I talk to you about the way you talk to me? Um, and really zeroing in on the triggers that are in you or, the, or just the speech patterns that that person, the spouse, is using to try to control you, manipulate you, or to make you feel bad, frankly. But the main point about attachments is that once you start separating yourself and detaching away from detachments, I'm going to tell you, man, the world's your oyster because you're not going to necessarily give a crap about what people are saying uh, or, or thinking about you because you're going to have a healthy understanding of who you are, both your strengths and your limitations. So I would be like boundaries, number one, right? Boundaries is somebody like, hey, don't call me a piece of garbage. Uh, hey, don't use nevers. Don't, you know, like, oh, you never, or don't always, like, you always, like, none of that garbage words. Um, don't uh, take the opportunity to point out my mistakes over and over and over again. In other words, you have some clear boundaries with your spouse, your wife, your friend, or whoever's making you feel like garbage. But number one, check yourself, check yourself. What's your attachment like with that person? Because if that person's generating happiness within you and it dissipates, and then all of a sudden it's anger, fear, worry, and trepidation and all that great stuff, like you've got, a, you've got an attachment that's brewing, brewing. And so no matter what that person does, they're going to let you down. Uh, all right, you feel me? All right, Ask JR. Another edition of Ask JR. This is like the second or third edition of Ask JR. Perhaps we'll do it regularly. Perhaps we'll do it live. What do you think we do it live? What if we do it Ask JR live? Would you all be into that? All right, everybody. Uh, it's JR at JRMan.com. I'm a spiritual director, mentor. If you need me, uh, we can hook up. We can do a session. That's how it goes. Uh, and I do sessions with people all throughout the week, and I'm really, really grateful to, to have this life. I tell you, it's... Um, Oh boy, to be present with what I'm doing now is just uh, fully charged, and I so, so appreciate it. I appreciate you, and I thank you for hanging out. If you need me, it's jrman.com, jrman.com, jr at jrman.com. It's M E H O N O R. I'm at jr everywhere else. The phone numbers are, are on the website, the whole nine yards. Somebody said, Jerry, your phone number is like really on the website. I'm like, yeah, because I want you to call me. <laughs> so if you want to work through something, walk through something, you got a question. Hit me back. I also run a nonprofit called Tabletop Ministries. We would love for you to help us out. You can read more about that at Tabletop Ministries online. Or just go to jeremy.com and hit the, uh, I think there's some kind of a button where you can move there too. Um, good friends. 
I don't know what that was. <laughs> Good friends, thank you all very much. We will talk to you next week.